The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm for individual investors. Learn more at av.vc. Okay, wait, what's your uh, dog's name again? Marlo. Marlo. Okay, we'll have to give Marlo a shout out if he starts barking during the episode. (laughs) We will. (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced discussion of the tech world and beyond. Our guest today is Sarah Fryer, a Bloomberg reporter who covers Facebook and is the author of the hit book, No Filter, The Inside Story of Instagram. And when you finish listening today, I think you're going to see why Facebook is in for some real trouble with the Federal Trade Commission from an antitrust standpoint. But first, let's welcome Sarah to the show. Sarah, welcome to the Big Technology Podcast. Alex, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's great having you on. I hope we'll be able to have you on multiple times. I was looking forward to getting you on the show. I felt like this was a particularly opportune week, but uh, I'm thrilled to have you here. It is. It is. a uh, You know, we got the rain going. It's perfect time for a podcast. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So um, you've been with Bloomberg. You've been a reporter at Bloomberg for, for a while now, almost a decade, and you joined in 2011. So I just want to start off with a question like when you joined, did you think your beat was going to turn into something that's going to be dealing with like election integrity and antitrust that sort of changed from what you originally anticipated? I, I, I really think that the beat has completely transformed. Like my job is is 100 percent different than it was when I was covering Facebook's IPO. I remember the big question around Facebook's IPO was are they ever going to make money off of mobile advertising? And the big question around the Instagram acquisition was, why did they pay a billion dollars for this app (laughs) that had only 25 million users and no revenue and 13 employees? And and so I think the questions just for many years, maybe even up until the, the 2016 presidential election, those questions certainly started taking shape before then. The questions were about business, right? It was, it was, how's the revenue trending? Are, are they getting into this new business line? Like, how are they competing with Google? How are they competing with Twitter? Um, and the, the thing that I really wanted to focus on in my book, it's those kinds of questions are, are not the most fundamentally important ones anymore. Um, this is now a story of the new infrastructure of our society. These companies are not only shaping how we interact online, but especially in the case of Instagram, how we behave in the world at large, what we value, what we buy, who we, how we hang out with people, how we celebrate, um, what we aspire to, how we build businesses. Like All of those things are wrapped up in, in the product decisions that are made in in Menlo Park, California at Facebook or you know in San Francisco at Twitter. In this case, during the COVID pandemic, we have people making right. them from home. Um, I, I just think that the the scope of the beat as as you've experienced has really um, become almost like like covering government entities, but in some ways more powerful. Yeah, there, it feels like there's been like a few stages. Like the first was, oh, these companies are interesting and their products seem fun. What's going on here? 
And the second was there's like the second stage, which was these companies just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And like the rocketing growth, I think, was uh, the interesting thing because we knew that there was going to be an impact on society, but didn't quite know what. And I think we're now fully into the third stage, which is the impact on society. And, you know, when you're watching these companies, you end up being confronted with some more interesting questions in terms of what's the actual impact on the way that we live, what's the impact on competition, uh, and what's the impact on the world at large. And so it does lend itself to more interesting questions, which is both an adventure uh, and can be exhausting at times because I feel like you always have to learn something new. Uh, but it's, so it's, can be, it's, I think it's the most fascinating beat in the world right now. So it's good to be able to have you on and, and talk about, about some of the more pressing issues that we're going to see moving forward. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's, it's really important for users of these products to understand the, the structure and motivations of the people behind them, because then you can, you can kind of peel back the layers of what's happening and understand why our political discussion is as fraught as it is, why, um, why people are, are you know, seeing this sort of divisive behavior in, in politics and beyond. It all comes down to the decisions that, that Facebook has made and Twitter has made and Google has made uh, about how to build. Yeah. And so um, you wrote no, no Filter. First of all, let's just talk about the title. Uh, it's an amazing title. Was that something that was evident to people from the start, what you were getting at? Sort of No Filter, obviously, people, when they tag their photos, hashtag No Filter, it means they haven't used any gloss over it. And to me, I think it connotes that you're going to get at the, the real story without any you know, big uh, PR releases or, or spin. Um, it's just a great title. Was that something that people sort of picked up on from the very beginning? I, it was actually hard to convince my publisher to like that title. Eventually, everyone thought it was great, but in the beginning, it was like, "Should we really? Does everyone know what that means? Is that, <laughs> does that is that like a Trumpian thing? They're going to think it's about Trump because he has no filter." Um, <laughs> I, I think generationally, um, if you're an Instagram user, you know what no filter means. Um, but the way I I see the title, it's like a double meaning. It, it's no filter is a nod. The fact that we know that phrase is a nod to the cultural impact of Instagram. No filter also refers to the fact that my reporting is, is not that, not what you're going to read in a press release or the official story you've heard. Cause the official story of Instagram, as you know, before my book was basically that Instagram was a happy uh, company within a company that you know had this harmonious post acquisition relationship with Facebook where they got to be kind of independent and Facebook was was even able to acquire other companies like like WhatsApp and Oculus because the Instagram legends the the idea that they were able to buy something and just keep it independent and succeed um was so appealing to a lot of founders who thought that if they joined Facebook they could have um, none of the risks of running a startup, but all of the rewards of still being a founder, still being a CEO and having control. Right. And, and today we're going to actually talk more about the run-up to the deal, which I think is important given the action from the Federal Trade Commission that we might see. But before we do, I, I just want to say uh, you and I shared an editor for a bit. Our books, my book, Always Day One, and your book, No Filter, came out in the same month. 
we were competitive in a sense, and it was a really tough month for the books to come out. Uh, but I, I feel like it was amazing to see how, um, you know, we were able to talk it through and compare notes and you were incredibly supportive, uh, of, of my book. And, and I hope that you felt the same way of me with yours. And it was just great to have, uh, you know, someone to go through this with. And, and I just wanted to say, thank you. Uh, I don't, I feel like, you know, going through that on your own, I mean, obviously we didn't suffer the worst of the pandemic, but releasing in April, you know, at the height of this thing. Uh, in the beginning was tough. And so just, it, being, and it was hard. It was hard yeah. to, to complain about it because people are, are literally dying. There are worse problems, right? There are, right. there are conversations that are more important than the conversation that you and I wanted to have in that moment. Um, after all of this work that we've done. Um, so it was really great to have you because <laughs> I could just say, okay, uh, are you feeling awkward about this? Because yeah, like on release day, should we tweet that the book is out? Like this, these, like, these are tough conversations. Yeah, <laughs> should we still yeah. have live? Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, uh, for those listening, Alex and I had a a, a Zoom beer session and just kind of <laughs> talked out strategy. <laughs> yeah. And it was just great to sort of be able to discuss, to see, hey, someone else is going through this as well. You know, we put a couple of years of our lives into writing these books. And then, of course, you know, get all, ex- all excited about the timing. And then the world sort of takes takes that away from you. Uh, and so just being able to speak with you about it was um, so helpful. Uh, and I'll, I'll forever be grateful. So thank you, Sarah. I feel the same. I feel you're you're the best. <laughs> How are you feeling about the way the book is going, by the way? Well, you know, there's a difference between the reception for a book and an article. I think, I think one of the hardest things about writing a book is you don't get that constant feedback loop of reporting a scoop, people telling you what you missed, or people telling you what the next step is. And um, when you tweet something, you get that instant feedback from your audience. And of course, from the company itself, but with a book, and I'm sure you experience this too, you're kind of just having that conversation in your own mind. Um, you had your post-it, your color-coded post-it notes. I had my note cards, um, <laughs> just trying to figure out how to piece all of this together and, and make a web of it. And so it is really cool to see like when, when a book comes out, the longevity is, is um, a lot more than an article. Um, it's an article people kind of, you know, it becomes part of history, but um, it has a, an inevitable fade and journalism is always about finding out what's next and books are about finding out why something happens and how it happens and what it means. And, and those questions are, are not ephemeral. They are, they're lessons that we can learn from and, um, things that can shape our thinking about the future. And so it, it I, I'm sure you've seen this too. It's just been, it's been cool to see like the kind of steady uh, word of mouth and appreciation for understanding what's behind these companies that are getting ever more powerful. Yeah. And I think that in terms of longevity, I mean, your book is going to be something that people are going to be talking about for a long time. And it's sort of the reason why I thought this would be a good week for us to talk, because it does seem to be that we're nearing a moment where the FTC is going to bring a lawsuit against Facebook and all signs point to that lawsuit, looking back at the Instagram acquisition uh, and trying to see whether or not Facebook illegally maintained 
it's monopoly. And I feel like uh, maybe this conversation that we're going to have today is going to be a preview of one that you're going to have uh, over the next two or three years as this action uh, gets going. Now, I mean, I'll say this with the caveat that, you know, I'm not 100% certain that this is where it's going, but I feel pretty good about the direction. Um, And I'm just going to set the stage quickly. Um, So there's a reason why Facebook uh, is going to show up in front of the FTC in a lawsuit uh, and and Instagram seems to be the likely case. Uh, And the reason is just because of the laws that we have today that govern monopolies. Uh, We're looking at a law back from the 1890s called the Sherman Antitrust Act that was signed by Benjamin Harrison. It's an old clunky law. It's not very good for the use of, for looking into tech monopolies, uh, which you point out in your book, Sarah. Um, But there is this section two in in the act, which looks at whether a company illegally maintained or sustained their monopoly. Um, And in the section, in the second section, there's basically three things that the FTC needs to prove uh, to show that there was uh, a legally maintained monopoly. The first is that there's a monopoly. The company has a monopoly in some market. And for Facebook, you would probably say social networking is the monopoly. Now, the, the next two are where it gets interesting. The second one is that it's done something exclusionary, which means it's used its heft to prevent competition in the market. And that might be where you get to the Instagram acquisition. And then the third part is that the anti-competitive behavior preserved the monopoly. So did Facebook uh, Acquiring Instagram help it preserve its monopoly in social networking, and I feel like that's the next. That's the thing that I'd like to get into uh, with you, Sarah, as we we you know spend the next few minutes with each other um, or next half hour, really. So I'd love if you could bring it. You, you detail this great in in no filter uh, in, in real depth, but can you bring us back to Facebook at the time of the acquisition of Instagram? Where was Facebook at the time of that of that acquisition and? Um, and how did the Instagram threat merge to Facebook? Facebook was really struggling to understand how to build its product for mobile phones. Because essentially, they started with a desktop app. And then they were trying to cram all of those features from their desktop app into a mobile app. And it was and it was not, that, not very functional. And um, they didn't know how to make money off of it. And that was like a a very existential crisis internally at Facebook. Uh, Can we figure out mobile, how to develop there, what works there? And Instagram was like the key app on the iPhone. Like it was something that was so naturally intertwined with how people would use their phones. Instagram didn't even have a web app for a long time because the point of it was that you were out in the world you had this camera in your pocket all of a sudden and you wanted to, to use it and use it in a way that, that was fun. Um, and Facebook at the time could see the popularity of Instagram really easily because Instagram had the ability to cross post to Facebook and to Twitter and to Tumblr and Foursquare and all these places. So Instagram filtered photos were like everywhere on the internet. And um, Facebook could see that activity really start to um, to be popular. And, and they wondered, like, is there a way we can, can capture this? And then they also, they also were concerned that, that Twitter was interested in acquiring Instagram. And Mark Zuckerberg knew that 
Kevin Systrom had a close relationship with Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter. Um, Kevin Systrom's the CEO of Instagram. Um, Jack Dorsey was actually an angel investor in Instagram and his he helped build the thing about, really, yeah. well, he, he helped his build posts, it, not, yeah. not engineering as a user. He helped build it by, by essentially being the first Instagram influencer. He was, <laughs> he was posting about Instagram on Twitter and he was one of the highest followed people on Twitter being, being the co-founder and his endorsement for Instagram led a lot of cool people to go start using it. And that made the content on Instagram really good. And it, it made it, it had this sort of cultural cachet to it because Instagram was really all about like the creative community, finding the right people, the right kind of content mm-hmm. on the app. Unlike, unlike Facebook where like more is more growth is good. Like bigger is better. Instagram was really about like the tone of the content, the, the feeling that you get when you're there, it had to feel curated. It had to feel almost magazine-y to be on Instagram. Yeah, you have this uh, line in your book. I think it's uh, Facebook was a constant class reunion and and Instagram was like a constant first date. Is that, that's from No Filter, right? Yes, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's a great I, line. It, that's a great line. Yeah. It, it's really just because if you think about how Instagram works, it is a place with no resharing and it's image-based. So everything mm-hmm. that is on your profile is something you have created. Unlike Facebook, where, you know, something you post could be a link to somewhere else, or it could be a comment on someone. Instagram was just pure personal brand. Um, and and yeah, the idea Instagram of a personal brand be... was not, it was more just like, here's my, my visual scrapbook. Um, and a lot of people thought like, why, why would you need this? We have Flickr, we have photo bucket, we have all these things. Um, why would you need this on mobile cameras and even mobile phone cameras and even take good pictures. But the Instagram, the Instagram service was, was gaining traction, gaining a network, unlike any of its competitors. Pick please. Right. Yeah, this is, this is a point. Yeah. I want to, I want to key in on this. Sorry to, to jump in here, but I do want to key in on this because Facebook, as you mentioned, had built this, what, what looks like a, you could call it a dominance, maybe a monopoly. That's going to be something we're going to debate for a while on desktop after it crushed all the competitors, uh, such as MySpace. Um, but then mobile comes and you see this emergence of all these different camera platforms. Like you're talking about camera. Awesome. Hipsomatic. Instagram, but didn't I feel like something made Instagram different? And I, you might have just touched on it, which is that for the other camera apps, people would uh, basically filter photos and still post them on Facebook. But Instagram had a feed, so how did that make Instagram a unique threat to Facebook? Well, it was a destination, and every Instagram created post was essentially an advertisement to go download Instagram. Right. If you, if you saw something cross posted to Twitter or something cross posted to Facebook where there was sharing and, and virality and it said this image, the way this person got this cool nostalgic filter on their images through Instagram, it was, it, it grew off the network that Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr, et cetera had. And, and that was something that Facebook thought was, you know, we just can't have. Uh, you see this over and over in Facebook's antitrust mm-hmm. history. We just can't have someone using our network to become a competitor. Like that's, that's something that, um, you know, we want, we want dating apps. We want, you know, Tinder and Bumble to c- connect with Facebook until we don't, until we feel like 
we want people to use Facebook for dating, you know? So, so I think that, that, that was one of the early, early senses of that. Um, the other thing that is worth noting, um, Mark Zuckerberg really understood how to talk to founders. And I think that, that he pitched this idea of independence for Instagram and, uh, a way to be a founder and have an exit and have all that security um, while maintaining the control. Um, and so he sort of said, like, let's, let's join forces so we don't compete. And I think that Instagram was thinking about it the same way. If we get acquired by Facebook, we essentially eliminate one of our top future competitors. Some of the stuff that came out in the House uh, Judiciary Antitrust Committee was that like Systrome is like, well, we either get acquired or Facebook goes into destroy mode <laughs> and crushes us. Right. It was like a, a non-option. <laughs> it, they were growing off of Facebook's network. So if, if Facebook just cut them off, like who's to say Twitter wouldn't cut them off after declining Twitter's acquisition offer? And, and then it would just be so hard. I think that that was that was the the big stick that Facebook had to wield. The other thing was uh, the network effect that Facebook was concerned about. Uh, when you look at the landscape of the photo products, some of them did have feeds, but but Instagram was the one that had the network effect, and th- that's like the exponential growth of people joining. You had you had celebrities on Instagram. You had before the Facebook acquisition, you had Justin Bieber on Instagram, you had Barack Obama on Instagram, you had Kim Kardashian, Taylor Swift, all these people who would go on to use Instagram to become even more famous. Um, I guess maybe with the exception of Obama, he had other other means. <laughs> but he had something but it certainly him, gave yeah. this it, it gave this cachet of like being a part of our culture that Facebook didn't really have. Um, Facebook never attempted to to cull favor with the top users of its platform in those early days. They were more focused on the size of the numbers and not the the top influencers. I, sh- I guess I should say. Um, so they saw something unique in Instagram, and and that's why Mark was able to tell Kevin, you know, we'll we'll let you be, we'll let you grow on your own. Yeah. And and this is an important point because Instagram was building itself off of the networks of Facebook and Twitter, but also it became this destination into itself. So Facebook couldn't get its act together with its mobile app, which it did eventually, but not after some fits and starts. It risked losing its basically hold on the world of social networking to this app that people not only went to to filter photos, but they went to to see what people were posting. Uh, and that was a, a real threat to Facebook, wouldn't you think? The most telling sign that, of course, you know, we, we've seen the emails. We know that Facebook has now said publicly, of course, we, of course, we acquired Instagram because it was a competitor, but that's not the only reason. Um, they, they joined Facebook. So it took a few months of deal approval. Uh, we can go into that later. But they joined Facebook and before Facebook lent them any resources, this was like, just imagine the Instagram team, tiny, tiny team, um, 
just 13 to 15 people, uh, hard to hire over the summer because people didn't know necessarily what they would have at Facebook, what they wouldn't have. They weren't allowed to coordinate about what their team would get in terms of resources and just exponential growth. And it was crushing them. <laughs> and, and they joined Facebook a few months, like six months after the deal was negotiated. And the very first week, Facebook's growth team takes the one Instagram growth guy out to lunch and says, says, Hey, so, um, we have to, we have to do a study. We want, we'll help you grow. Uh, but we have to do a study first to make sure that you aren't the reason that photo posting is going to decline on Facebook. So as long as you're not a threat to Facebook, we'll give you resources, uh-huh. which is just kind of crazy because then that, that goes to show they bought Instagram with the intention of helping it if they thought that it wouldn't crush Facebook and killing it if it if they thought it would. Right. So it was evident right from the beginning. Yeah, this is a competitor. We can't have that. Do you know when we have Facebook... to either own it or not? <laughs> yeah. Do you know when Facebook decided it was going to buy Instagram? I mean, it looks, you know, from the text, it looks pretty abrupt. Like one day Zuckerberg's like, yep, I think we should buy them. And then Zuckerberg goes to Kevin Sistrom and he's like, I've decided to buy you. But was there like a compelling event or a moment in Facebook history that made them decide we need to make this move? Well, yeah. I mean, I think there was there was big concern that Twitter was going to buy them. Uh, and Instagram had just raised a ton of money in a funding round. Uh, and they were going to have a ton more resources to grow. And so before anyone, before they were able to turn up dial it up to 11, uh, they had to figure out how, how Instagram was going to fit with the future. They could see that it was about to have this, like this exponential moment and they had to put it in, in some strategic position for them. Right. They had raised like, I think I'm quoting from the book here, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, like $50 million at a $500 million valuation. And then Zuckerberg Which goes, was huge at that time. Yeah, like that was, yeah. that was crazy. Facebook had a hundred yeah. million, hundred million valuation. If, if I, hundred billion. Hundred billion. Yeah. Valuation. But even for, for a camera app, uh, quote unquote camera app, it was a lot of money. And Zuckerberg immediately goes to Systrom. I'm going to give you double. Yeah, he says, I'm going to give you 1% of Facebook for this. Mm -hmm. Kevin Zistrom, by the way, at first asked for $2 billion because he didn't want to sell. Might as well. Right. Yeah, he didn't want to sell. And he had discussions with Twitter. And he even in private messages that are now public talked about how Twitter was a better fit and how uh, Jack Dorsey, you know, had been this, we talked about, had been this influential user. And I think there was like this dispute also where... It's disputed now, but I mean, it seems like it happened that Twitter actually drew up an offer sheet for Systrom for Instagram somewhere in the five to $700 million range and Systrom turned them down. So, I mean, the thing that I wonder as I read through this whole saga is why the hell didn't they just sell to Twitter? It seems like they knew it was a, they thought it was a better fit. They seemed afraid of, of Zuckerberg in some ways. So how did, how did Facebook pull this off? The thing that Instagram really needed was not what Twitter had. Um, Twitter was at the time people thought Twitter might end up being as big as Facebook. It really wasn't as obvious that they would remain so small. That's one of the reasons why people were, um, 
disappointed in the couple years post IPO with Twitter. But at the time, they were pretty equivalent in people's minds as powerful platforms that were growing really fast. And the the thing that was happening on Twitter all the time was it was just going down. And it had a lot of internal drama at the top. And, and they, they didn't have a really strong engineering core. Um, Instagram was also going down all the time. If they had joined Twitter, or at least they were having to fix the app all the time. If they had joined Twitter, that wouldn't have helped them in their biggest problems. Whereas at Facebook, Facebook was known for having really good infrastructure. And a, a Mike Krieger, this, the uh, co-founder and chief technology officer of Instagram, really respected their engineering chops. And, and he was like waking up at, at 4 a.m. all nights of the week to deal with, you know, the network alarms. Right. Canceling dates. He was like, okay, this, it was exhausting. <laughs> they were exhausted. And it was not clear that if they joined Twitter, they would fix those problems. And Twitter also, um, they had a vision for Instagram that, that was more like, well, we just want to, we just want to bring you in. We'll figure it out later. Like maybe Kevin, you could even be head of product at Twitter. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. It, there was not, it was like, take, you want this money? Cause we'll just get the money to you and then we'll figure it out. And, and it just wasn't a compelling emotional offer the way, the way Facebook made it or even threatening the way Facebook made it. Like, e- you're with us or against us. Yeah, right. Which is basically what Zuckerberg uh, did when he went to Systrom, at least the way that it reads. Um, so how did Zuckerberg close the deal on Instagram? Well, he appealed directly to Kevin and then he wrapped it all up in a bow over Easter weekend uh, without any external bankers. It, it, would, it took about three days, all told. Uh, they had a really quick review of Instagram's code, which just involved calling Mike Krieger and asking him a few questions. He never even looked at the code. Right. Krieger, I'll just keep going back to your book, but Krieger said we could have built this thing on Lego and they wouldn't know. God, that was one (laughs) of my favorite lines. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, it was just like, we know what we want. We're going to get it. And there were a few scuffles about, you know, what percentage would be in stock versus cash. And um, again, these guys were exhausted. Like, a little cash goes a long way when you're that exhausted. Um, and and then done. And Facebook's board like, was barely addressed before the, the ink was dry on the paper. Um, it, was, it was a fast process. And that's partly because Zuckerberg didn't want any, any time for Kevin to just ponder it and get cold feet. He just wanted to make it happen. Yeah. Okay. And now we're going to get to the key question here, which is we talked a little bit about how, or I talked a little bit about how the second important thing that the FTC would look at with Facebook is whether it's done something exclusionary to prevent competition in the market. How did the acquisition of Instagram by Facebook change the nature of competition in social media? It, it meant that one company would end up owning the first and second most popular social networks in the world. It's it's just astounding. Like if Instagram remained separate, maybe they would have a, a trajectory like Snapchat. Maybe they would have fizzled. Maybe Facebook would have killed them. Um, 
maybe they would have joined Twitter or Google or Apple, any number of companies. And the, the way that we are living today would be different. Yeah. Would you say that the acquisition sort of uh, helped Facebook like put a stranglehold on the social media world from then on? Yeah, I think that that Facebook didn't even realize it in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think initially um, they thought of Instagram as like, it's, hey, it's really great that we were able to get this competitor to be part of our company and part of our corporate situation. Um, but they didn't really think of it much strategically beyond that. And then, then Zuckerberg did, did see that they were able to use that whole, whole independence of Instagram to appeal to other founders like Jan Kuhn of WhatsApp saying, Oh yeah, you know, let's try it out Kevin Systrom to have dinner with Jan and tell Jan that everything will be fine. And which they did. Um, and Jan was deciding between selling WhatsApp to Google or Facebook and pick Facebook. So that's huge. Um, right. The fact that Facebook also owns WhatsApp. That was a, that was a $22 billion acquisition. So in the beginning, it was, it was strategic in that way. And then, um, once Instagram launched stories, it became a lot more frequently used. Its growth actually accelerated, which is rare for a social network for growth to accelerate. And, and then Facebook started to feel actually threatened by the company that they owned. Like they, they had brought them into the fold, but still they could see that question that they asked at the very beginning with Instagram, like, are they cutting into the potential that Facebook has for photo sharing? They were, they were highly concerned about it. And so Zuckerberg made Facebook do stories and WhatsApp do status and messenger try the same, like they wanted it to go everywhere just to like, Zuckerberg thought that Instagram was only successful with stories because they they did it first and you know that was eating into Facebook's opportunity. It was it got really tense and this was right after the 2016 presidential election when when a lot of of scrutiny of Facebook was cropping up and and Zuckerberg was thinking like I don't actually believe that that people are are hating Facebook because they don't like it. We see the user numbers they're good. But maybe it's they have this like alternative option with a much happier brand that they're going to, and we are hmm. sending them there. We are literally advertising Instagram all over Facebook. Every time someone posts an Instagram on Facebook, we say, "Check it out on Instagram." We should kill that. We should stop it. We should instead make it so that people on Instagram get redirected to Facebook. Right. It must have been this weird emotion where it's like uh, we've we've created something that people like more than uh my baby you know from mark zuckerberg's standpoint but also man thank god we bought this company because <laughs> if this was happening with somebody else uh owning it maybe twitter or maybe instagram doing it uh standalone then it would be some some deep trouble for facebook so uh when we come back when we, we're going to take a quick break when we come back after the break i want to talk a little bit about um Where we stand from a regulatory standpoint, now that Facebook does own Instagram, how the FTC let the deal go through and what it might do, uh, you know, to potentially unwind it. So stay tuned. We'll be back here with Sarah Fryer from Bloomberg and the author of No Filter, the inside story of Instagram right after this. 
I'm Kwame Christian, and I am the CEO of the American Negotiation Institute. And I want you to check out my podcast, Negotiate Real Change. Listen to conversations with leaders in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, and learn the secrets behind what it really takes to become a successful advocate, ally, and change maker in your organization. Check out Negotiate Real Change on your favorite podcast player. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back here on the second segment of the Big Technology Podcast with Sarah Fryer, Bloomberg reporter and author of No Filter. We've talked a little bit about how Facebook, or I guess a lot about how Facebook has built uh, such dominance through its acquisition of Instagram. And now the FTC might examine it and think about potentially even unwinding it or finding a way to uh, you know, create room for some other competitors. One of the big questions I think we're going to be asking is, how did the FTC let this deal go through? And it seems like they let it through uh, pretty breezily. So can you take us back to that moment, Sarah? Well, Facebook was making these arguments. This, this is 2012. Facebook has just gone public and its stock is cratering because investors think it's never going to make any money on mobile phones. And they want to spend $1 billion on this tiny company that has no revenue and they fail to see this, the key thing that we talked about at the beginning of this episode, the network effect, the fact that Instagram was already winning that market. Um, and of course, Facebook that didn't take any pains to, to really dwell on that fact that that was part of their, their rationale for buying Instagram. Instead, they said, well, you know, we, I don't think we even know if this app is, is, uh, very dominant. You know, we don't really, it's just one of many camera apps. We don't have a camera. We are building our own camera app and this is another one. And, and you could also do Hipsmatic or camera plus or, or path or camera awesome. Um, or pick please. There were all these other apps that they listed and, and talked about and said, well, you know, we're just, we just have no idea if this is going to work out. Um, there's no revenue here. So the FTC was kind of just like, Okay, that sounds <laughs> that sounds unthreat. Cool. Like we have we have no reason to stop this. You guys are we don't even know if you guys are going to survive the next few months. Um, and and that was that was great for Instagram. I, Zuckerberg didn't even go to DC to be interviewed by the FTC. He did it via video call, which video calls are very common Before today. Before coronavirus, pre coronavirus, <laughs> and Kevin Sistrom, when he went to to um, to be interviewed about the app at the FTC, they had like really junior people talking to him and they were like fanboys of the app. 
this is so interesting. Tell us more about how it works. Um, and, and also, and this is common in technology deals, but I was really shocked by this. The, the people doing the discovery on the, uh, sort of for the, for the FTC report so they could see what, uh, what was potentially concerning within the text messages and emails, et cetera, the documents that they gathered from Facebook and Instagram. It was Facebook and Instagram lawyers were doing that discovery. Right. And they, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and they were asking, they were asking questions like, you know, Kevin bought one of his employees a nice bottle of bourbon to celebrate the fact that Instagram had passed Facebook and app store popularity. Does that mean that Instagram is a competitor with Facebook? And the employee answered, well, I think any app would be happy to pass Facebook and popularity. And that was that. Um, and that interview was done by Instagram's lawyers. So, so I think that it was just kind of small potatoes. Right. And, and they let it go through. And so here's a question for you now, given the state that we're in. So, if the FTC can show that Facebook had a monopoly in social networking, that it did uh, make this acquisition in order to prevent competition in the market, which seems like it might be able to do, and that it preserved its monopoly in social networking, that also seems feasible. Does the FTC have the capability to unwind a deal that it approved? Well, if you look at the approval letter, they gave themselves an opening to come back to it. They didn't uh -huh. say like, this deal's approved forever and ever. I forget the exact wording, but it was something like we have no, we have no reason to block this at this time. Um, and and so I, I think that sure they can do whatever whatever they want. Um, I think that when we get to talking about something like a breakup, which is what is always top of mind in these discussions, like what if you just separated it out into its own company and everything would work out from there? Is you and I have seen Facebook has really quickly over the past few years, especially since the Instagram founders left in, in 2018 out of frustration with Zuckerberg's restriction of resources. Um, we've seen Facebook decide to intermingle their apps, maybe in a way that, that makes it easier for Facebook to, to operate them, but is maybe not in the best interest of Facebook's users. And we're seeing it happen right now with messaging where you have uh, Instagram direct combined with Facebook Messenger. Um, they're eventually going to add WhatsApp to that. Zuckerberg is trying to create a mega network out of all of his different networks. So you can decide like maybe Instagram is your favorite platform, but you can still interact on Instagram with everyone who's on Facebook and, and you can interact with merchants who use WhatsApp and, and that would give them more power because what Zuckerberg thinks, which I, I'm not actually sure that I think this is the most important thing, but Zuckerberg thinks the bigger the network, the more valuable the network is to people. Yeah, it depends how how you structure it. Um, Sarah, do you think that this, this integration that we've seen bringing the apps together, do you think that's explicitly meant to fend off a breakup from the FTC, which has the power to do it? I don't think it's specifically meant to fend off a breakup. I think I think it's also because because Facebook wants to have product control over the over these, I guess I should say operational control. Like it, it just makes sense at scale 
if you are dealing with something like election integrity, uh, or if you are dealing with something like, um, you know, legal <laughs> or, or HR or something, you want those things to be centralized and help all the apps because then you have just one team that deals with everything. And previously you had like a head of growth at Instagram and a head of growth at Facebook. And, you know, there were some, there were some kind of messy reporting structures where people would report to a boss at Instagram, but also report to the Facebook team that was similar, like the ads team on Instagram also worked closely with the Facebook ads team, but maybe reported to the Facebook ads team because Facebook didn't want Instagram to just build its own ad mm. system because that just wouldn't, that would make it harder for advertisers to buy. So, so I think that this is just all in the name of, of moving faster to build stuff. Um, the problem that you get, at least the problem I see from an antitrust perspective, um, or the problem from a consumer good standpoint is that when you have Facebook in charge of all of these networks that Facebook considers to be smaller and less important than Facebook, imagine where the resources are going. They're restricting resources for Instagram. They're not letting them hire all the people that they wish they could to solve their problems. And in fact, Instagram's problems become secondary to whatever is getting attention in the news for Facebook. And Instagram is a, a intensely influential network shaping our society just as much, if not more. And, and the AI systems that are rooting out problems on Facebook, they don't all transfer over. The argument that Facebook is making and a lot of its uh, arguments against a breakup is that it's safer for them to have all these products together because they can find like fraudsters and, you know, terrorists and child pornographers across all the networks. And if you combine their identities, then you know uh, what's out there and can solve it. But in reality, Facebook gets the priority. That network gets the priority. And everything else gets too big for help. Yeah. If Facebook were to make this argument that, hey, we can't unwind this. It's already too integrated. Do you think that that do you think that's true? Or do you think they could actually unwind it if they were forced to? It would take years. I mean, they wound it really? so they can unwind it. Yeah, right. So it's sort of going to be like, I don't know. Do you, Can you see a situation where the FTC does unwind the two companies? I Sure. I mean, I but I think that we... Okay, the antitrust side of the FTC is different than the side that worked on the privacy issues. But... Right. Look at what happened. Like the FTC doesn't have a lot of things right now. If you look at what happened in the privacy case that they brought against Facebook after Cambridge Analytica, the penalties were five five billion dollars, which for Facebook, which has more than seventy million in annual revenue, is like sorry, seventy billion in annual yeah uh, profit. Not very harmful. It is just not. Not much. And, and then you have, uh, all of these measures of things, like all these, um, issues that Facebook needed to resolve. And every single one of them was something that had previously appeared in the Facebook press release as something they were already doing. Yeah. 
So you don't really see a lot of hope for the FTC making a real dent here. Well, it seems pretty clear to me that that mm-hmm. case operated with a lot of backroom discussions. Uh, I, I don't know if you saw the the uh, documents that came out about it, but it was like, it was like, hey, when should we schedule a time to talk on the phone? Like most of the documents were like mm-hmm. not actual uh, negotiation happening in writing. So they, they Facebook learned their lesson a little bit on that front. <laughs> they, all this they, did. Stuff, they did. They did. Slowly but surely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and there was a lot of a lot of negotiation to do something that would make the FTC look good, but not be too harsh on Facebook. Uh, yeah. Because you know, as long as they can say they they gave them the biggest fine ever in the history of of the FTC, they can say they they good. laid the smackdown. Yeah. So I, I want to ask, I want to conclude with a couple of forward looking questions. Um, first thing first, uh, given the discussion we've had about the acquisition, Instagram acquisition and the impact on competition, and we know the FTC is looking into Facebook in a big way. Okay. Maybe there's not a breakup. Where do you see this, uh, this concluding? Where do you see it going? Well, I think we need to not just think about the FTC. There's also, uh, Congress, which put out a almost 500 page report on the tech companies and their anti-competitive practices and trying to come up with, with legislation to limit them. You have the DOJ, which is also working on a Facebook case. You have, uh, state attorneys general who are likely going to join the FTC case, which could make it more powerful. And, and so I think that, that this is not going away. If Facebook is going to try to lobby one group or the other. Um, I, I'm very curious what will happen in a Biden administration because uh, already you've seen a lot of folks who were previously in the tech industry try to enter positions to to regulate or at least think about regulating the tech industry. Biden uh, Biden spokesperson this week said that Facebook is shredding the fabric of our democracy. However, like yeah, they're just mad about ad policies, though. They know these yeah. people. They're uh, in many cases are um, working with people who had worked at these companies, or Facebook has hired folks who used to work with them. It, it's the same thing that happened with uh, Facebook and the Trump administration. They hired a lot of heavy hitter Republicans, and they were able to make Facebook seem very friendly to power. And, uh, just a little, a little schmoozing goes a long way. Yeah. Okay. And then let's just talk about, so, so that will definitely be ongoing. And, and personally, you know, just to the listeners out there, I would say, keep your antennas up because a lot of the stuff we talked about today, is probably going to come out. Uh, and, and this, hopefully this discussion, hopefully provides some context on that. Um, and now Sarah, just from a product standpoint, you mentioned Instagram taking a lot of the momentum away from Facebook. It seems like it's everyone's favorite app compared to Facebook. So from a product standpoint, do you think Instagram supersedes Facebook and makes it irrelevant? Do you see another company coming out of nowhere and starting to challenge this lead? Where do you see sort of this, the product game going in the social media world? Well, here's a clue. Facebook <laughs> hasn't given us a user metric for Instagram since 2018. They didn't even want to say it in 2018 that Instagram had a billion users. We have no idea how many users they have right now. That's something you should get a scoop on for big technology. 
uh, or I should try as well. That's right. Um, I'm pretty sure you'd beat me to the punch on that one. But <laughs> all right, I'm happy but, to, to put a wager on it. But yeah, they've, go ahead. Never, they've never uh, said Instagram's revenue. They've never broken it out. I, I had to find out through sources that it was more than $20 billion in 2019. So that's a, a quarter of of Facebook's revenue. So actually earlier I said profit, I meant revenue. Um, the signs are there that Facebook is, is threatened by Instagram's size and influence. Uh, and we might, we may not know through Facebook unless I, I hope Congress asks or the FTC asks you, how big are the, how big is Instagram? How big is WhatsApp? Mm-hmm. Like, why is it okay for Facebook to only produce a, a single family of apps number and then a Facebook number? It, it just doesn't, doesn't make sense for understanding their power and their influence. And, um, and I think that the, the other thing is you have seen Instagram become from a product standpoint, a lot more like Facebook. They are adding notifications more often for people. They're adding recommendations. They just did a new product change today, which is going to be a couple of days afterwards. But we're we're in a new product product era for Instagram already. But sorry, keep going. Yes, yeah. more focus on shopping. Yeah, which is bizarre. One of the things that I think has happened to Instagram is it has become more like Facebook in the absence of the founders who really cared about simplicity. Uh, we have, if you use Instagram today, you have Instagram's main feed, but then you also have Instagram stories, IGTV highlights. Um, you have shopping, you have reels, you have, uh, direct, you have all of these different and, and checkout is kind of like shopping, but not like it's, it's so confusing if you're a new user of this platform to get into it and, and understand it. So I think that actually could be a threat. And there was an interesting line in, in the congressional report for uh, evaluating the impact of, of Facebook's ownership of Instagram on, on the, the cost to users. And one of the costs is, is you know, not developing products in the interest of the user. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely, if you look at where the harm is done, that could be it. So, but we'll see, it's kind of where both of our books collide, right? Like, <laughs> yours is, you know, you talk at the end about Facebook's jealousy of Instagram. For me, always day one, like it's, you got to look at things like it's your first day and, and let go of the legacy. And the message to Facebook on that front is like, we understand that there's this, some sentimental attachment to the blue app, but look at what you have in front of you. You know, you did buy this thing. Might as well write it. So, but we'll see. If, exactly. Yeah, maybe. I, who knows? Mark Zuckerberg might have his own opinion on that. The FTC might have its own thoughts, and state AGs might have their have other thoughts. So, it, it, there's one thing that's certain. I, I believe is that this isn't going to be a static area. I feel like there's going to be a lot of action on this front, and hopefully, this we've been talking about the election of, for four yeah. years. I feel like this is going to be the next big thing we talk about in tech. Totally. Yeah, I agree 100. percent and Sarah, I hope you're prepared to do a lot of these type of conversations because you're going to be in demand. Thank you so much, Alex. It's been a pleasure. Well, great having you on, Sarah Fryer. Uh, everybody should go out and pick up the book, No Filter, um, the inside story of Instagram. You're going to want to read it before the fun begins in Washington, D.C. Sarah, where can people get the book? 
anywhere that you buy books, you can buy No Filter in, in many languages as well. Um, I would just make a special shout out to independent bookstores. It's been a tough time for them with COVID. So if you do have a favorite or a way to purchase, a lot of them are doing online shipping. Great. And then elsewhere online, uh, people can get in touch with you on Twitter. Is, is that where else you want people to find you? On Twitter, on on Instagram, of course. Um, the book is also available as an audiobook, ebook. So, so many different ways to interact with it and with me. Amazing. Well, Sarah, I'll be looking forward to reading your reporting. Um, and again, I can vouch for the book. It's a good one. Thank you, everyone, for listening. It's your first, if it's your first time listening, uh, feel free to subscribe. Actually, we invite you to subscribe. There's a new episode here on the Big Technology Podcast every Wednesday. So if you like this one, we'll have another one coming up next week. And if you're a longtime listener and you're on uh, you know, one of the apps that allows ratings, for instance, Apple Podcasts, a rating would go a long way. So if you could rate us, it doesn't have to be five stars, but a rating would, be, would help. Uh, we'll take it and we'd uh, be extremely grateful for it. I want to thank the people at Red Circle who do the hosting and sell the ads for the podcast. And Nate Gwatney, who's the terrific and talented editor who puts it together every week. We will see you back here next Wednesday for a new episode of the Big Technology Podcast. It's going to be a fun one. We're going to talk a little bit about the way technology and the way Silicon Valley has had an impact, maybe a harmful impact, uh, but certainly an impact on the rest of the economy. So until next week, this is Alex Cantrowitz, and I wish you well. We will see you then.